And what I want to do tonight is wrap up this home campaign series. And we're probably one of the first churches that has ever done a capital campaign in July. Um, That is textbook wrong to do that. And we did. And because that was the timing of all of this. And as Frank said, we just trust God with the results. And tonight I want to wrap up um, in what we're calling the soul of the campaign. Two weeks ago, I gave you the heart that every person needs a family and every family needs a home. Last week, I gave you the mind, the plan, and we laid out the plan for you as clearly um, as we could. We showed you numbers and all of that stuff and just let you know that this has been well thought out. Tonight, though, I want to talk about the soul of the campaign or I said another way, what's, what's this really all about and what happens in the future if we're successful in this quest. And so to do that, I want to answer the question, what happens in the home? What happens in the home? And when we're saying the word home, we know that we're using a double entendre because on one hand, we mean the, the building, but on the other hand, of course, we mean the spiritual home, the church, the body of Christ. So what happens, according to the scriptures, what happens in the home? I want to answer that with five statements Five statements of fact as we look in the scriptures of what is supposed to happen in the home, in the church. Statement number one is this. We teach our children to love the Lord. What happens in the home? We teach our children to love the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The first thing that's to happen in the home, now this is of course also talking about your actual home, is that we're to teach our children to love Jesus. And one of the reasons I'm most excited, this is a question I've gotten in the habit of asking people, what are you most excited about, about us having a building? And one of the reasons I'm most excited about this is what I think it's going to mean for the spiritual development of our kids and our students. What it's going to mean for those who are 18 and under. As we see the clear instruction here, by the way, parent, a clear instruction to you that discipleship, evangelism, the training begins at your physical home, your personal home, but then we, the church, come aside with you to see your children grow up to love Jesus. The way we say it around here is to love Jesus, to make friends, and to enjoy church. And that we're going to inform how we um, handle this building, how we operate, um, our responses uh, are going to be around our kids loving Jesus, making friends, and enjoying church. I want one of the, uh, the measures that I look at in 20 years on my ministry to be, did kids love coming to that place? And were kids growing up to love Jesus their whole lives? In this text, we see how the instruction um, of training our children is an everyday thing. Lindsay and I have been trying to take this um, personally, and so um, we've been teaching Reagan this little catechism back and forth. I tried to get a video of it this weekend, but of course, since I was trying, it didn't happen. And we had this little conversation with Reagan uh, that goes like this. If you don't know who Reagan is, she's uh, my almost three-year-old. And it goes something like this. 
there is one God. And Reagan goes, there is one God. And then I say, the Bible is God's word. And she repeats. And then I say, but sin leads to death. But Jesus saved me when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And he lives in me. Amen. And the other day, for the first time, she said it all by herself without us prompting her. And so then Lindsay pulled out her phone and she stopped talking. (laughs) My hope is that this building serves as a catalyst for us to be able to take seriously the instruction of teaching our children to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That they would carry simple but powerful truths with them throughout their whole lives. By the way, church family, if we're going to take this seriously, that is going to impact the way that we do everything around here. So when a kid's running in the hallway and your first instinct is to trip them or yell, typically when I see a kid yelling in the hallway or running in the hallway, it's accommodated with a smile on their face. And so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Just let them keep going. Now, they run into somebody, they knock someone over. Yeah, we're going to have a little conversation and all of that kind of stuff. Somebody might walk around and say, there's some paint on the carpet in here. Well, it was probably the high school students that we let paint. I'll take a high school student painting on the carpet over them not feeling like this is their church any day of the week. It's just a building. It's just a building. These are the kids and the students that we have been collectively called to raise up. Of course, I'm not talking about disrespect. I'm not talking about madness. There are, of course, limits. Uh, But we're going to err on the side of fun and generous. What do we do with the church? We train our children to love Jesus. Now, these kind of work in a circular. I'll get there. Number two, what do we do in the church? We stand for truth. Number two, we stand for truth. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. By the way, sometimes people think these two things right here. um, Let me explain that in a second. Let me just read the verse here. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. We get to use a word that I rarely use in life. You'll see it. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Sometimes we incorrectly think that to be a church that holds on to truth, that also means we have to be stodgy and mean. These things are not mutually exclusive, friend. How many lights are on an auditorium stage have nothing to do with whether or not truth is being preached. How loud the music is has nothing to do with whether or not truth is being preached. There are effective ways to run ministry in a way where we can make sure that kids enjoy church and are still taught truth. There are effective ways to do church and to still make sure that the truth of the gospel is never, ever 
diminished. We stand for truth. In this little verse right here, we see a few things that are phrases that we use often, and they're affirmed in this. In fact, you're going to see it in a lot of them, that church is a family. We see that in this verse. Uh, We see the idea that the church is led by Christ, that he's in charge of it. That's something we say a lot around here. We see in here also that the church alone, the church alone, not parachurch, not some ministry, uh, not Christian radio or Christian music or Christian TV or anything else, that the church alone, friends, we, the church, are charged with something that only the church is charged with, and that is to preserve and to promote the truth of the gospel. Why is church so important? Why is the body of Christ so important? Because it, it has alone been charged with preserving the truth of the gospel. It's why it's a tragedy when, when, when churches stray from the scriptures. It's a tragedy um, when the church succumbs to culture and, and, and doesn't hold for truth because the church alone has been charged to hold on to it. We say it this way around here. We believe the scripture is as relevant today as the day that it is written. Many of you say, you say that a lot. I'm going to keep saying it a lot because I want all of us to remember it. We believe the scriptures are as relevant today as the day they were written. In fact, I'll take it a step further. The fact that culture sometimes conflict with scriptures is not proof that scripture isn't infallible. I would say it's proof that it is. The very fact that sometimes humans, culture, looking at scripture and say, no, that can't be right, to me is the sign that this is an eternal book. My favorite author, Tim Keller, um, points out, even in 21st century world that we live in, if you ask the question to a common American, hey, what do you think about um, the, the sexual mores of scripture? You know what most common Americans would say? Oh man, those are really, really strict and conservative. And you'd say, what do you think about the idea of forgiveness? Most Americans would say, that's a beautiful concept. Beautiful idea. You go over to the Middle East, and you ask a person in the Middle East, hey, what do you think about the, the biblical standards of sexuality in the scriptures? And they would say, well, they're a little loose, but, you know. If you say, what do you think about the idea of forgiveness and turning the other cheek? The average person in the Middle East would say, oh, no, you can't live like that. You see that? See how scripture has this way of penetrating culture. We believe the scriptures are as relevant today as the day they were written. And we have been given the task as the church to preserve and to promote the truth of the gospel. Why? Because according to Paul, only the gospel can change a life. And that if the gospel is changed, then the ability for it to transform is ruined. So the bare essential We are um, called to preserve the truth of the gospel. And so whatever happens in culture, whatever happens in America, whatever happens anywhere, it is up to us to always proclaim and to declare the truth of scripture, the truth of the gospel, right? That salvation only comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. That the death of, uh, of Christ on the cross and the actual bloodshed is the only possible payment for our sins, that um, repentance and belief in Christ is the only way to heaven, that we are all born with a sinful nature, and unless we repent, we spend eternity separated from him. 
This is the truth of the gospel that is undiminishable, that we can never stray from, and it is the charge of the church to stand for it. So what do we do in the church? We teach our children to love Jesus, but as they grow, we teach them to stand for the truth of the gospel. What else do we teach, and what else do we do? Galatians 6, 9 through, nine, uh, 6, 9 through 10. And let us not grow weary. Whoa. And let us not, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season you will reap a harvest. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says. It says, and let us take every opportunity to do good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Third thing we do, we love each other in the body of Christ. And in this simple verse here in Galatians 6, 9 through 10, it teaches us a couple of things. It says, do good to everyone. And so in the context of this verse, everyone just means everyone. It says to take the opportunity. I came up with a little definition of opportunity. The option to assist a member of the family. What's an opportunity? An opportunity is when there's an option right in front of you where you can say yes or no, where you can help or not help, where you can love or not love. And what Paul is saying there is when you have the opportunity, no matter how many times you've done good before, no matter how many times you've forgiven, no matter how many times you've assisted, no matter how many times you love, it says don't grow weary of doing good. When you have the opportunity, take the opportunity. Show love to each other. And then it says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Why does it say especially? I think two reasons. First, I do believe that this text is teaching us in a way to prioritize um, the family of Christ in the same way that you prioritize your family. You know that your primary responsibility is to feed your children. Doesn't mean you don't love other ones. And this verse is, in a way, telling us to prioritize the family of Christ, the, the church family, and to show love one to another and to elevate that. I think the other thing that this is saying when it says especially is it's also saying this, don't give up on your brother or sister. Don't give up on them. Those of you who have real siblings, right, and you have relationship with them, I, I know for me there's there's there's... Nothing I can foresee or imagine that my brother or sister, my real blood brother or sister could do that would make me turn my back on them. And what this text is teaching us, in the same way you wouldn't do that to your actual brother or sister, don't do that to your spiritual brother or sister. They're your family. Do good to them, especially to them. Don't turn your back on your brother or your sister. Why? Well, as we say often, church is not a social club. What happens in a social club? I mean, in the most petty of them, right? In Mean Girls, if you don't wear pink, you can't sit here. Social club. You don't wear the right thing. You don't drive the right thing. You don't look the right way. You don't belong here. Church is not a social club. I've said this before. If you don't have friends that you would never have unless you were united in Christ, you still have a path to go in your faith that our faith compels us in such a way to begin to engage in community with people that outside of the context of the church, we would go, I would never be friends with that person. But all of a sudden, because of, of Christ in us mutually, I'm like, wow, there's something there. Or C.S. Lewis always says, all friendship starts with a moment when you look at the other one and go, oh, you too? 
Oh, you too like fill in the blank? Oh, you too are in Christ. We love each other. And we want to do this um, organically. We also do this um, systematically here in our congregation. And uh, one of the questions we get when it comes to a capital campaign and moving into a building is, um, are you going to continue to fund the family fund? And what the family fund is, is we take 10% aside of everything that comes in. We literally put it in a different bank account. Um, so we know and we look at it and we say, okay, this is about serving needs within our church community. And so we don't touch it. Right? We don't just, it's set aside for that. Someone can, can, can correct me if I'm wrong later, but I don't believe there's a moment yet when somebody in our church body has presented a need and we have said, we're unable to help you. We love each other. We systematically give one to another. And so when we show up on a Sunday morning as the body of Christ and we're bringing our hard-earned money and we're giving it, we're not just saying, I want to make sure the lights are on. We're saying, I want to make sure my brother and sister is taken care of. In fact, we would say actually that the the first 10% goes to that. So your first part of your gift is being set aside. We love each other. Does that mean we're always going to do it perfectly? Nope. Does that mean there's not going to be tension? No. Of course there will be. We're humans. It means we won't give up on each other. It means we'll take the words of Psalm 133, that it is a beautiful thing when brothers and sisters dwell in unity seriously. And we'll fight to make that happen every step of the way. That's what happens in the church or in the home. Number four. By the way, these are good principles for your own home, too just so you know, and encourage you loving each other in your home. Number four, fourth thing that we do, um, I'm actually going to change it from the slide on there um, because it came to me this morning, but, you know, I didn't want to change the slides. Hebrews 3, 5 through 6 says this, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house. Again, that idea that Jesus is in charge of the church and that it's a house, it's a home, it's a family. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast that we are his house, is another reminder that buildings are buildings. They're beautiful, they're great, but they're not the church. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. On your um, screen, it's going to say we are the house, but I'm going to change it to say this. We hold fast. What else is the church supposed to do? What else is supposed to happen in the home? We are to hold fast, to hold tightly, to hold strongly. To what? We are uh, to hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. We are to hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. In other words, uh, let me give you a couple other words to help us understand that. We're to hold fast into the idea of who Christ is, and that when we gather, one of the aims and the edification of the body is to make sure that you walk out more confident, more hopeful in who Christ is. That when we get together, one of the things we do by by gathering together is we draw strength and encouragement from each other. It's why any type of behavior that, that, that stirs up division or dissension in the body, Paul speaks so strongly against because the church is not to be the place where pettiness reigns and rules, where we fight over silly things. 
And church is not supposed, church is supposed to be when a body of people are coming together and their eyes are so fixed on Jesus that they let the silly things disappear and instead see the important things, which is each other. And then encourage and lift each other up and build each other up. We hold fast to our confidence. We hold fast to our hope. As I was reading uh, in my own personal time this morning, um, this verse came to me. So I thought I would just share it with you guys this morning. Evening. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, by the way, if it's like a thing instead of a person, just substitute the thing. My adversaries and foes, it is they who will stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me. Yes, I will be confident. That was the connection to me. It was a reminder, this verse connected to that verse in Hebrews, that one of the things we're supposed to do when we gather in the body is to build each other's confidence up in who Christ is and what he has promised for your life. And so then when you walk in and you're struggling with fear, you can walk out with faith. When, when, when it's hard for you to take the words of Christ seriously, do not worry that you can be reminded by the encouragement of the body that you don't have to. And in this also then is this collective identity of the body when it says, we are the house. In other words, then it's saying that each and every one of us, like it says in Ephesians chapter four, are all a part of this. That each of us play a significant role in being the church that Jesus came to plant. Said another way, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again until we get there. We are not the church that Jesus has called us to be in completion until you step into the role that Christ has called you to be. But when we collectively begin to do that, it forms the church that Jesus came to plant. And what does that church do? It teaches children how to love Jesus, stands for truth, loves each other. That's what it does. What else does it do? It holds fast. It boosts confidence. Each and every one of us are essential to this. Last thing. Last thing we do in the church. We leave generational impact. This is where it kind of all comes together because you get to the last one, and then when you get to the last one, if you've done it right, it just circles back and starts the whole process over again. We leave generational impact. Proverbs 22 28 says this, do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. This was a verse that I read when I was thinking, or when we were thinking uh, about this building and, you know, whether or not we were going to put an offer on and all that kind of stuff. And then after we did, and my heart kept being drawn back to this verse as a reminder of how grateful we should be um, in, with Garden Park and the congregation that built this building and paid way more money to build it than we're buying it for right now. If you don't know construction, we could never afford to build this building. <laughs> Instead of coming in and saying, hey, man, they're, uh, you know, they, they, they weren't quite large enough. Their budget wasn't quite big enough. Yay, whatever, whatever, celebration. So, no, instead, we get to come in and we get to say, thank you. Thank you. Now, the conversation, by the way, between our elders and their elders have been beautiful. It has been such a good picture of Christ. 
We walked in the other day and there was something written on the whiteboard and we pray for God's incredible blessings for Redemption Church. And likewise, friends, we pray for God's incredible blessings on Garden Park Church. And now what we get to do is continue on in our history now in this building. And when we leave generational impact, when you think about generational impact, whether it's in your family or our country or whatever it might be, there are certain things or ideas that kind of play into this idea of generational impact. Like in generational impact, you, you talk about stories. Like you probably have stories in your family that you share over and over. And in the same way in the church, when we talk about generational impact, that'll come through stories that are shared. Stories that we'll tell for years that will start with remember when, remember when, or remember that one time when. Like one of the stories I'll tell for 30 years around here when it comes to this church is like, remember the one time I sat down with Jake Mahalski at Starbucks and asked him if he'd serve in kids ministry for 10 weeks? Four years later, Jake's still serving our church. I'll say, remember the time when Josh Snipes and I met at Rust Belt? You won't remember that because you weren't there, but I will. And it started, I think, a transition in the culture of our church and the body that was formed. This Sunday, we're going to baptize three people. I think some of you are in here. You want to stand up real quick just so we can see how awesome you're going to be? Yeah! They're going to share some of their stories. And we're going to say, man, remember what God was doing in Antonio's life? Remember what God was doing in Heather's life? Remember that one time that we did that float in the middle of downtown Perrysburg and it was 90 degrees and we thought sweatshirts were a brilliant idea? And we were all like soaking for Jesus. But Heather came to our church as a result of that. And I think there will be a day when we say, remember when we tried to do a capital campaign in July in the middle of the most uncertain economic times in like 13 years? And how long does the story go? Well, I was challenged to think about that. How long does the story go? So instead of telling it to you, I'm just going to read it to you. I'm closing tonight about the story. Maybe how long it goes. Hannah, you can come up. So we talk about generational impact. What does redemption look like in three years? Years 2023, church has steadily grown since moving into our permanent location. We're nearing 400 adults. Our kids' ministry has grown significantly. The ministry is dedicated. Band, you guys, I got like seven minutes. You're just going to want to sit down. Oh, yeah. It's going to get awkward. I'm going to stop you before you're looking at me weird. Our kids' ministry has grown significantly. The ministry is directed by our staff members. But if you walk back there, you would think high schoolers run the ministry because they're serving everywhere. 
The youth ministry is running smoothly and growing quickly. Every Wednesday night, around 125 6th through 12th grade students and 50 college age or more volunteers meet to help students establish a lifelong faith. As for the adults, the congregation has grown, but it still reflects a family. Our age breakdown has remained consistent through our history. About 25%, 18 to 27, 25%, 28 to 40, 25%, 40 to 55, and 25%, 55 and over. By the way, that's our current age demographic. All four of those are somewhere between 23.5 and 26.5. This is one of the signs that this really is God's church. Watching our seniors engage with our young families is beautiful. This building has served as a catalyst for relationships as weekly groups of women's and men's Bible studies meet in the building. Our band is as good as ever. It's remarkable how many student musicians have been trained up through our youth band. Lindsay still plays a lot, but really she doesn't even need to anymore because we've become a training ground for new musicians and the worship culture is as fantastic as ever. Of course, the giving has gone up with growth and attendance. We still don't serve free coffee because there's better ways to spend our money. We'd rather give food to the hungry than coffee to the comfortable. We are reinvesting into the building and steadily paying off our debt. Of course, our family fund is alive and well. With the growth and giving, we're able to spend even more money on helping those in our church in need, but we will not stop till we arrive at the place in Scripture where it says there was not a need among them. But what does Redemption Church look like in 10 years? The year is 2030. We've been in our new building for 10 years now. And guess what? It's paid off. We turned the 20-year note into a 10-year plan. We utilized the same financial principles that allowed us to buy the building to pay off the building 10 years early. During that time, we've made significant improvements to the building, and we've maintained healthy staffing levels as well as continued to fund our family fund. The family fund has actually grown into a pretty impressive feature of our church. We have a website where people put in their needs, everything from car repair, home repair, and we have a team that goes and does the repairs for the person, and we often pay for the materials. The rest of the church is thriving. Adult attendance is pushing 750. We might need to move to three services soon. The kids' ministry team is looking at me with the crazy eyes. Amazingly, though, the church has not in any way lost its family feel. Never have 750 people felt so close and committed to each other. The building is used frequently to hold meetings, celebrations, and Bible studies. Our youth and kids ministry is a training ground for spiritual leaders. One of the other developments over the last years is the emergence of a dynamic discipleship ministry. From the beginning, God made our church multi-generational, and that's paying off now. As older men and women in our church are meeting frequently with younger generations and helping them as they grow up in life and in faith. It's amazing how many marriages have been saved, how many relationships have been restored as a result of these relationships. Our worship and prayer ministries have exploded. Dozens of people get together weekly to pray for our church, the people, our gatherings, and the winning of souls. It seems every Sunday and every service, the Spirit of God descends, and it moves in all of our hearts. We just held our 13th baptism service at the Pikes House, where we baptized our 500th person as a church. Over the last years, we've also lost our, launched our international missions initiative. Now there are three people groups around the world reading the scriptures for the first time in their own language. 
okay, but what does Redemption Church look like in 30 years? It's 2050. This new pastor is incredible because I'm definitely retired. The church has grown ever since we added a sanctuary onto our property. It's hard to believe that all around us used to be fields. I can still remember standing in July of 2020 and looking out at the surrounding area and basically seeing only crops. Now there are houses and neighborhoods in every direction. A few years ago, I knew it was time to retire and pass this church on to the next generation. Fortunately, the church has been kind to me and they still let me attend. It was harder to convince Lindsay to retire, but Reagan's a pretty good worship leader. I'm proud of this church. Born out of adversity, slow to start, but steady and constant throughout. Our kids' ministry has discovered the beautiful secret of adapting with the times, but never changing the core doctrines of the gospel. These kids still love Jesus and enjoy coming to church. Our youth ministry is one of the most exciting things in our city. Students flock to the student auditorium on what used to be the back 10 acres. Our new youth pastor has a way of firing students up and training them for the work of ministry for their whole lives. Our family fund, more of an endowment now, is large. We've operated financially intelligent for 30 plus years, and there is a lot of money saved up. But we still hear Frank's words, the ones engraved on the entrance. This is God's church. In other words, we know that money isn't ours. It belongs to him and to those in need, to every single mom, widow, orphan, family, released prisoner, and all of those who have come and experienced redemption. Recently, the new pastor asked me to come and share with the students the story of our church. I couldn't help but tear up a little bit. I read to them Psalm 126, those who sow with tears reap with shouts of joy. I explained to them some of the difficulty in which this church was planted, how Tom Hill and Frank Mahalik and about 30 others in the Holiday Inn believed when no one else did and how God formed a group into a family. I told them about the home campaign 30 years before when through the sacrificial giving out of the COVID-19 crisis, our church emerged better than ever before. And how during that time, God planted a dream in our hearts that every person would find a family and that every family in our community would have a church home. And for 30 years, God has been doing exactly that. And I know this pastor has a vision to carry this into the future. And I pray daily for his success and the success of this body, that it would be the church that Jesus came to plant. And friends, that is a vision that I will give my whole life to. Every bit of energy, every bit of passion, my time, my money, my prayers, and my heart. And I'm asking you to join us in the same way because the future looks bright. I'm going to pray. Band, now you can come up.
Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, as we humbly stand before you in your church, bind us together as the body of Christ. Not a building, a business, or a club, but the body and the family of Christ. And Father, after you bind us together, keep us focused on what the church, the home, is supposed to be and what it has been called to accomplish. And Father, I pray that you would speak to each person here on what their role is in this great quest that you have given your church. So I echo Tom's words from earlier. It's not about us. It's about those out there, every one of them who needs a family, every one of them who needs a church home. And so like the true older brother in our first story, may we at our own expense give up of all that we have so that many would be called to redemption. Thank you for the wisdom that you have given our elders and our staff for the plan that you have put in place. And thank you for the soul of a mission that looks out into the future and sees in faith all the work that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.